in our series on following Jesus. We've come to where we're almost coming towards the end of this series. We've got a few more, but I thought just before the one I was going to do today, I thought I'll just at last minute do something different. And we're going to focus on the need to be humble, as Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 12. To humble ourselves under the hand of God and he will exalt us. Jesus spoke spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 23. And as we were looking at during the week, it's, it's sometimes easy to forget that when Jesus was ministering during his lifetime, even though what we read is located in the New Testament section of our Bibles. The people were living still up until up until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down in power, certainly. People were still living under an Old Testament frame of mind. And so Jesus, when somebody was healed, he says, go to the priests, do what is required in the law of Moses. And still... Here, too, the the Pharisees are described as being the the teachers of the law. And the people are to follow the law of Moses. And they are the official interpreters, he says. Yet, it had been over a thousand years since Moses had lived. Well over a thousand years. And the law of Moses had sort of taken on a slightly different context since then. Over that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees began to teach not just the law, but actually interpret it and teach what it meant. And instead of the law of Moses being directly applied, well, people went to the Pharisees and the Sadducees to hear what they would say. And even though they were talking about the law of Moses, they ended up becoming the authorities in the lives of the people that they were directing. That can happen in so many areas in life. Not just back then, 2,000 years ago, but even today. 500 years ago at the Reformation, the Reformers' teaching was described, well, it was summarized in five or six solas. If you're familiar with Latin, which we're not, The word sola means alone in Latin. (coughs) There was sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. Sola Christus, Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. We're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. By grace alone, to God's glory alone. And the message by which we are saved is found in Scripture alone. That's the summary of the, the approach of the, the Reformers. Some people say that there is a sixth sola. Um, and I can't remember the, the phrase, but it was uh, by the power of the Spirit alone. The Reformers taught that as well. This topic of sola scriptura, scripture alone as being the ultimate authority, is so important. And that was recovered at the Reformation because 
Before that, the church had become the authority. Just like the Pharisees were saying, you have to listen to us and what we say and we will tell you what scripture means. They were not actually letting scripture speak for itself. They were becoming the ultimate interpreters and they were actually standing over scripture and they were the authority over scripture telling people what it meant and how to apply it. And the church ended up in that situation as well. And the Reformation got back to scripture alone as the authority. Today, we find that there are many different sects. There's, there's different, like Jehovah's Witnesses and others, who say, no, it's not the Bible. You need to look at the teachings of our church. Of, and we will tell you what is true. And yeah, the Bible's wrong in these parts and we're right. More commonly, under a postmodern worldview, there's lots of people are on the internet and they think them and their group of like-minded people, well, actually, they know what's true about the Bible and how to interpret it, and they alone are the ones who are, are right. This Pharisee approach, this Pharisaical approach, this approach of standing over Scripture, of us being the ultimate authority. It's a temptation of sin. It's a temptation of us putting ourselves before God, of putting self first. It's what the first sin was, putting God to one side and putting self first. And it's a temptation that we're all prone to. Not just them or them or them in history. It's something which is in our hearts. We're prone to know better, to think that we're more important than God and we understand his word better. Instead, we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves under his word. To illustrate, you're probably very familiar with the issue that many adult disabled people face. An overzealous carer will maybe take them out. It can be a family member. It can even be a professional carer. Although there's a lot more better care now than there was in the past. But you've probably heard the phrase, does he take sugar? Where a shop assistant is, instead of speaking to the person themselves, he speaks to their carer, their helper. Sometimes the helper will think of, because they're more able-bodied, that they are able, they're more capable of actually deciding what the person wants. And when they go out and they're helping them do things, the person wants to do this or go this place, but the cares and no, 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 I know what you, I know what's good for you. And off they go somewhere else, or no, you don't really want that. You want this. They become the authority in that person's life. They don't listen. They know better. And so too, it's. It's the same when we come to God's word too often. We know better than what God's word says to us. We, we know what it means and we read into it what we want it to mean. Instead of actually listening, instead of asking the person, well, what would you prefer? Where do you want to go? What, what do you think? Instead, we ought to come to God's word with, God, what do you think? What are you saying to me here? What do you want me to learn? Instead of us coming and saying, 
we know it, and imposing our views. Instead of us thinking, well, I'll agree with scripture when it agrees with me. (laughs) Which is only agreeing with ourselves. It's a very difficult thing. It's a mature thing to actually say, well, well, do I disagree with scripture on this particular point that we're reading? But then to, to think, well, who am I? This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. Instead of me putting the Bible to one side, I have to get in line with what God is saying to me. Lord, help me understand what, what are you saying here? Is, does this mean what it seems to be meaning? Look at other passages to see what does the whole theology, a biblical theology of the whole Bible teach us on this topic? Um, what does God say in different situations on this topic? And then figure out, Lord, this is what you're saying. I don't like it. I've got to go with it. I've got to conform my will to your will. The Pharisees and Sadducees had gotten into such a pattern that they thought that they alone could interpret God's word and that the people needed to come to them. They didn't let God's word speak for itself. They didn't help people see what's in the word. Sometimes we've got a tendency to want to defend God's word, to interpret it for others. And we can put ourselves in the place of, well, if we don't defend it, people won't understand it. If we don't explain it, they won't understand God's word is living and active. People can hear it. The spirit works through it and touches people's hearts. Charles Spurgeon famously said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. And in a real sense, we don't have to be the guardians of God's word and explain and interpret because there's a danger that we're actually going to explain what we think. Instead, we should let God's word loose, encourage it, help people understand a little, but it has to have the ultimate authority. We have to be seen to be explaining clearly what it says rather than us saying something and it seeming to be not quite in harmony with that. But Jesus focused here on how the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a problem, believing that they should not only be the the helpers to help people understand what God's word was, but they had an attitude problem as well. They believed that they were more important than anyone or anything else that they'd gone from helping people to and pointing people to the word and explaining and when when you're explaining God's word sometimes you have to to help people see that the context the how to interpret one context from another how this situation in one place has this point in view whereas this situation has another and so they're and you, you try and make clear what is already in Scripture. And that's what we ought to do. But sometimes, like the Pharisees, they became the ones who actually said what Scripture meant. And they can impose a meaning on Scripture that wasn't really there. And then they become the authority instead of Scripture. They had an attitude problem. Jesus summarized it. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. 
They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. They'd gone from explaining God's word to receiving the attention themselves. They had an attitude problem of wanting to be respected and honored. They'd stopped being servants of God's word and instead used God's word to serve them. Jesus hit the nail on the head when he says that they lacked humility, but instead they exalted themselves in verse 12. He warned against following in their footsteps, being called various names that would puff up your pride, receiving attention and privilege, as if they deserved to receive the glory that God alone deserved. He said, everything they do is for show. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor and in synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. It's all about them. It can happen in many ways. Pride can come in. The pastor likes to be called pastor. People who aren't even pastors call themselves pastors. Just to, to get the same attention that the rabbis were getting that Jesus talks about. To avoid this trap of people becoming too self-important, Jesus says, don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. He doesn't mean that we can't have a Bible teacher. You know, somebody who teaches children, or a pastor, or, or a teacher, in that sense. But what he's talking about is taking on the status, taking on the the kudos of being, it's about me and, no, it's about scripture, it's about God. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Many people think that it's all about them. And there's a very subtle danger. You know, you can be you can be leading a Bible study, you can be having a conversation with friends about the things of God, you can be preaching a sermon, and then you suddenly sin will take you into thinking your sermon is more important than the thing you're preaching about. Again, Charles Spurgeon once, well, he preached many, many fine sermons, but once one, someone came to him and says, did you know, Mr. Spurgeon, that was a fine sermon? And he says, yes, the devil has already told me so. <laughs> the point is, it's not about whether we have done something good or not, but it's whether we receive the glory for it, whether we want the attention or not ourselves. If we get the glory, if people praise us, we have to point them to the Savior and thank God for what he's done through us or how he blessed us. Or even if it's only in our own hearts, say, Lord, that was all of you. The problem is, humility in the human heart is something that takes a long time to develop. We can be saved by grace and we're guaranteed we're going to heaven where Christ's and there's nothing can take that away. 
we are justified by faith. That's a once-off experience. We're, we're no longer in the world. We're in Christ. But sanctification is another matter. And it can take many years. And sometimes people go to their graves with really not much humility. We're saved by grace, but we need to be sanctified as we walk in the Spirit. Sin in the human heart can, even though we're right with God, justified with God, sin in the human heart can keep us at a distance from the Savior, where our lives are still far too much about us. But the closer we get, to Jesus well we can't get any closer to Jesus unless we humble ourselves (coughs) and have his character he is the one who was the most humble there ever was and we need to humble ourselves before others be a servant to others rather than be the one who others serve (coughs) it's when it's when we, when we put aside our will and our preferences and our understanding that we not only end up being more helpful to others, but actually our world becomes bigger as well in the process. Instead of the world revolving around us and our eyes only being on us and wanting other people to serve us, and we have a little small world of just us and the things that are important to us. When we are humble, when we humble ourselves and put others first, we lift our eyes and we start to see what's happening in their lives more. We can see others, we can focus on others and our world, the things that are important to us becomes bigger and bigger. Our world opens up And we become more connected with the real world in the process. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted to be the center of attention. Their eyes were on themselves. But Jesus, the one who deserves all glory and honor and praise, he came into our world and he made it possible for us to have renewed eyes, to have a renewed heart, to have a renewed focus. He made it possible for us to not just think of ourselves, but to fulfill <clears throat> the, the, the two focuses of the law, to, to focus on God, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we are at the center, our world is very small. But when we put ourselves second to others and, and second to God, our world becomes much bigger and we become more engaged with others, more useful in God's service and we walk more closely with Jesus. When we are other people-centered, when we are God-centered, that goes hand in hand with being humble. We need to humble ourselves before God And he will exalt us. 
Jesus, when he continues in Matthew chapter 23, we didn't read the whole chapter, but he then continues to talk about this problem of lack of humility, which the Pharisees and Sadducees had. And he pronounces seven woes to them. In six of those woes, he also calls them hypocrites. We won't go into detail on each of those, but the point is, the road of being self-centered instead of being humble, ultimately leads to condemnation, eternal condemnation before God. When we're focused on ourselves instead of living for him, we're sinning. He describes them as being spiritually dead, whitewashed tombs, which look good on the outside but are dead and rotten on the inside. And instead of doing the will of God, They're opposing those who speak God's will. They're persecuting those who are close to God, his prophets, his people. And ultimately, that lack of humility, the end of that road is condemnation, eternal suffering. But Jesus says, instead of exalting yourself and focusing on yourself and trying to get all the attention here and now, which will lead to eternal punishment. Instead, if we humble ourselves before God now, we will be exalted eternally. We will be exalted if we humble ourselves before him and before others. Anyone who exalts themselves, who considers themselves more highly than others, and often with a self-righteous attitude when they come to God too, will be brought low. In verse 12, He says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If we humble ourselves before God, not being self-righteous, but seeking the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is a gift, we are accepted into God's family. We are privileged, we are exalted here and now. We're given an, an eternal inheritance ahead along with all those who have turned to Christ. We might not look much different, but we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are already exalted in terms of our identity, who we are. And one day when he comes again, and this world is renewed, and our bodies are renewed, our spirits are cleansed, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain we will be seen in all the glory that he has promised to us, that is ours already. Like a child who inherits a fortune but can't, doesn't really receive it until they're 18 or 21, we have inherited a great inheritance, but then we will enjoy it in all its glory. And yet, Even as believers, we sometimes, we often still think too highly of ourselves. Thinking that we know it all, we're experts. We have this pharisaical approach that it's about us, not about God's word. Or it's about us, not about serving God. The closer we get to God, the more we realize that, that sin is more 
camouflaged in our hearts than we realize. It's more insidious in our hearts than we would care to, to admit. But the closer we get to Christ, the more we see it. The closer we get to him, the more we see how humble he is. James tells us, and he gives us grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. James is speaking to believers here. We have to humble ourselves before God to come to Christ. But after having come to Christ, we have to continue humbling ourselves before God. We have to humble ourselves. We have to submit to him. And the devil, he will tempt us with self-importance. He will tempt us with all kinds of things. We have to resist him. And we have to draw close to God and he will draw close to us. We have to get rid of sin. We have to purify our hearts. We have to not have divided loyalties between God and the world. We have to have a godly sorrow for, for the things of sin. And we've got to turn from them and humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. Peter tells us the same thing. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honour. Sometimes we are humbled before God and yet we have to wait. We have to wait humbly. We have to wait patiently for God to exalt us, to God, for God to honour us. Sometimes we're in a situation at work where you know you can do a far better job. You know this isn't the right place to give you all, you know, for you to use all your abilities and experience. But you just have to wait there until it's the right time for the Lord to exalt you. Sometimes it's at home where we're serving someone, we're caring for someone. And we want to be able to do so much more for for God. I remember one woman who was really struggling because she wanted, she was capable and wanted to do so much for the church. And yet she was constrained. She had to look after her father with Alzheimer's. And she was so frustrated. She thought, I could be doing so much for God. And yet here I am, stuck at home, And yet she patiently and humbly did that. And th- joyfully and, and submissively did that for, for what seemed like an age. But then her father, who was a believer, went to be with the Lord. And it was a blessed thing for him. And then she was freed to be able to do all that she had wanted to do. But she was able to do it in God's time. When she humbled herself and submitted to what God's will was for her at that point in time, he then released her in his time to do all the things that that she was able to do for him. 
Sometimes we have to humble ourselves before God and he will exalt us. He will lead us into that situation where we can do all that we ought to do. Paul says to the Romans, after teaching about the the doctrines of salvation in chapters 1 to 8, the history of salvation in chapters 9 to 11, he goes into his practical section in his book from chapter 12 to 16. And one of the things that's right at the head of that, he says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. The ancient Greeks had a very similar motive, a similar saying, and Paul seems to be alluding to that Know thyself, as it's often said in English. Know yourself. Socrates taught that true wisdom is knowing what you do not know. So knowing your own weaknesses is a step towards becoming wise. Many people who, who go on to theological college... Many people who who study in in university or or go into some kind of further education, they think they know an awful lot when they go in and start their studies. But the further they get on and the more they learn, you'll hear many people say, the more I've learned, the more I've realized how little I know. They become much more learned, but they become much more humble in the process. We ought to know ourselves and know that we're not as great as we might think we are. But that is actually the stepping stone towards allowing God to come in and change us, to make us able, more able than we really are. Today, this, this whole idea of know yourself has taken on a different slant. This journey of self-discovery that is very popular at the moment to get to know ourselves it's can lead in all kinds of directions people think well i don't really know myself maybe i'm maybe i've got a different gender than what i think i have maybe i've got maybe i've got different sexuality maybe i've got different abilities maybe i've maybe i should really be doing this and sometimes we're not able to do the things that we think we want to do or sometimes we're just We just don't know who we are. We're lost, we're confused in this world and and we need certainty, we need direction. And instead of being the authority of who we think we are, we should listen to God's word and listen to what he says about who we are. The underlying problem is that we become the authority in our own lives and If something feels good, well, there's the conclusion that must be right. But if we judge whether things are right or wrong by whether we feel good about them or not, that's a recipe for disaster. If we assume that our feelings are always right, well, that's what the first sin ended up doing. Adam thought, well, this looks good, therefore it must be good. But it wasn't. doesn't matter how much things look good or feel good, We ought to judge them by whether God says they're good or not. If we want to be fulfilled 
let's not chase our own hearts. Let's not see where our own thoughts are leading us. There's a very, very good book. Don't follow your heart. Uh, We've got it in the library. And it's making this very point. Our hearts will lead us astray. But follow God's word. If we want to be fulfilled, seek God with all our heart. If we want to be exalted, we need to humble ourselves before him. Humble our thoughts, humble our temptations, humble our motivations, our aspirations to God's will. If we want to be blessed, we shouldn't seek blessing, we should seek God. And blessing will follow. Let's humble ourselves, not focusing on self, but taking delight in the Lord. As Paul, or as we we read in Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord. And once we have taken delight in the Lord, we will then get the desires of our hearts. Once our heart's desires are on the Lord, the Lord will give us as much of himself and his will to fulfill our heart's desires. Jesus taught us that we need to be humble before each other. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus doesn't mean for us to actually get the the basin out and water. But what he's doing is he's given us an illustration. Back in the Middle East in those times, people used to walk in bare feet or in sandals and their feet would get really dirty. And you would go in to a house and as we often read, there would be a servant or somebody would wash the guest's feet and maybe put oil and anoint their head. We have to serve each other. We have to do what other people need. We have to do the, the less glamorous roles of caring for one another, of loving one another. And it might not be literally washing feet today, but it might be something appropriate to our circumstances. It might be with an elderly relative or someone caring for them when they their bodily functions are no longer they're no longer able to control them. It might mean doing the the jobs in church that no one else sees, like cleaning up, preparing, just the things that only God sees. But we're doing them for others. We're doing them for the Lord. You know, it's actually liberating not to have to make ourselves look good before others. Not to have to get all the attention upon ourselves. Not to have to try and keep up a reputation or make ourselves look good because it wears us out. We, We can't do it. We certainly can't do it in honesty because we're not all that good at the end of the day anyway. Outside of Christ. It's so liberating just to be accepted by the Father, to submit and humble ourselves before him and be loved by him and then to walk in the freedom that that gives, the freedom to be able to do the things that people don't see, the freedom to be able to do the things in front of many people and yet it's not about you, you're just serving them. Jesus is not only our example in how to serve one another, 
to put each other first. Not only our example, not to seek the glory like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but to give grace to others instead. He is our ultimate example by his death on the cross. Paul writes to the Corinthians, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He humbled himself in order to bless others. And we're to have that mind of Christ as well. He writes to, Paul writes to the Philippians, Don't be selfish. Don't be self-centered. Don't try to impress others. This is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing in Matthew 23. Instead, be humble, thinking of others as, as better than yourselves. Put, put their preferences first. Think of them first rather than getting your will done all the time. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. He didn't let go of his actual equality with the Father. He is still God. He still was still God when he was here on earth. But he just let go of all the receiving the glory that he would get from the angels in heaven. He put aside all the praise and the honor that comes with being Worshipped as God. That's what this verse is saying. Instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God. And died a criminal's death. On a cross. That word humble. Humbled. Appears a number of times. In what Paul is saying there. And as a result, therefore, God exalted him to the highest, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth. And so Jesus, when he says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted, he not only teaches that, he lived that out. He was exalted He humbled himself to the cross, but he was exalted to glory. And when we humble ourselves before the Father, when we come to him through faith in Christ initially, we receive an inheritance. We will be exalted. We are exalted in the heavenly realms and seated in Christ. But when we humble ourselves before others and before God, he will exalt us up one day. So let's seek to be humble, to be more like Jesus, to be closer to Jesus, because if we want to be closer to him, we have to be more like him. And God the Father will exalt us in due time. If we seek exaltation, that ultimately leads to condemnation. But if we are humble, like Christ, we will be exalted Let's seek to be more like him. Let's place our faith in him if we haven't done it before. Let's follow him. Let's trust in him. He died on the cross to take our dirty laundry spiritually. And he cleansed us by doing so.
Let's trust in him. Let's thank the Father for Christ's humility by which we are forgiven, by which we are justified, by which we are redeemed. Let's trust in him if we haven't done before. And if we have, let's walk in him. Let's walk the way he walked. Let's draw close to him. Let's humble ourselves and we will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we can never understand the depth to which you have come down to us from the glory of heaven. But Lord, we understand enough to know it was it was significant and it was necessary for us to be forgiven, for us to be exalted, to be seated with you in the heavenly realms. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us. Help us, Lord, to to submit more to your will, to humble ourselves before you. And we look forward to when we will be exalted. We look forward just to simply being closer with you. And Lord, we look forward to when we will be with you in eternity. Forgive us, Lord, for our pride, for our lack of humility in the past. Help us, Lord, to have more of a servant heart, a humble heart, the heart of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.